0: As indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Please be seated.
1: If you're going to make a reality television show about a church, you'd use Corinth. And the reason you would use Corinth is because it has all the drama and division built in. You know, you don't have to fabricate any of it. It's all there. And uh, as you read through the chapters, you just see how it make one good episode after another. When you, when you look at the book as a whole, what, what strikes you is that in the first nine verses, chapter 1, 1 through 9, Paul um, he offers encouragement. So the first nine chapters, it starts out good. Hey, I want to say all these great things I see in you, I noticed about you. For nine whole verses, he offers encouragement. For 425 verses, he offers correction. So how would you like to receive that? Hey, I got something hard to say to you, but I want to say some good things first that are going to take me about 20 seconds And then I need about 20 days to tell you all the bad things. That's how it feels. And as as you read through the book, you see that there are power plays and immorality. There's uh, immaturity. There's lawsuits between believers in the church. There's these false sayings that are circulating around the church that people are saying. I think that's true, but they weren't actually true. There was an, an abuse of power, abuse of spiritual gifts, abuse of the Lord's Supper, there's disorder in the worship service, there's false teaching about the resurrection. Imagine being assigned to be the leader of this church. I mean, the Apostle Paul must have felt like he was like riding a mad bull at a rodeo. And, and they're just constantly trying to do things to, to throw him off. And in this letter, he, he hops on this big mad bull and for 425 verses... He tries to calm this church down in a way that would bring some stability, and he does it by reminding them of gospel, by reminding them of the truth, by giving pastoral wisdom. And we've been benefiting from that wisdom over the last few months. In chapter 7, you notice in verse 1, he begins to tackle certain disagreements, certain points of division inside the church and it says this in verse 1, "...now concerning the matters about which you wrote." So Paul had planted the church, he had left, and then they're saying, hey, we've got some disruption back here. We're writing you a letter about things that we have division about or disagreement about. And in the first, first one of those is in chapter 7, and he talks about marriage and singleness, which we covered the last few weeks. In chapter 8, you'll notice he's, he's going to launch out on another topic, now concerning food offered to idols. This is his second thing that he's addressing. Now, I know when you read that, you're thinking, finally, finally we're getting to this pressing issue that I have in my life. I've been waiting for somebody to talk to me about food offered to idols. I'm not really sure what to do about it. And finally, there's somebody who's going to preach about it. I know you, you got that got up that mor- this morning with that burning question in your mind. And I know the topic seems irre- irrelevant to us because it's not the way we operate here, but the teaching about it, the practices that we draw out of it are very relevant for every church. And so we need, to, we need to lean in and learn about what Paul is talking about in terms of this issue with food sacrifice to idols. Now, chapter 8 is a little bit complicated, and one reason it's complicated is Paul's writing to a particular church. This isn't a, some kind of general letter. This is a very specific letter, and it's hard to know exactly how he's answering some of these questions, but I want to break down the text in three different parts and see if this can help all of us understand what he's trying to get at. First of all, uh, there were people there who were right. They were knowledgeable. They they said, hey, we're knowledgeable. And they did know something. They were right. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. Second thing is how these right people went wrong. They had the right information, but the, their application of the information was really what Paul's mainly addressing here. Hey, you guys are right, but you have, you have a bad application. And I want to address that. And then how do these two groups of people, the knowledgeable people and the weak people who are inside the same church, how are they supposed to move together? Because they're rubbing against each other like sandpaper. And Paul's trying to say, hey, there's always going to be people who know a lot of stuff. And then there's always going to be people who are probably new to the faith and might be weak in their conscience in some way. And so how are these two groups of people supposed to move together? So we'll talk about that at the close. So first of all, uh, before we talk about those threes, let's just understand the cultural backdrop to what's happening here That will help us. A hot issue in the church in Corinth was what are we supposed to do about meat or food? But a lot of times it was meat sacrificed to idols. If you were to go to Corinth, there was a temple on every corner. So the whole landscape was dotted with these different temples. And one of the temples was at the top of the hill, and it dominated the whole landscape. So when you walk into Corinth, it's, it's everything's about these idols and temples. And a lot of commerce goes through these temples. A lot of sacrifices happen in these temples. And, and, and it's just in the bloodstream. You can't get away from it. And this is very similar to how I felt like when I went to India. There's three hundred and thirty million gods in the Hindu belief. Imagine that. Three hundred and thirty million. So everywhere you go, there's a little temple or a shrine or something. In the hotel I'm staying I'm I was staying at, behind the, 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 the clerk is a little shrine. And every once in a while he burns something to the shrine. I don't know if he's trying to say, Lord, whatever, keep this hotel safe or Bring good people in here or make us prosperous. Every restaurant you go into, you, you go around the curbside. There's shrines everywhere you go. It's just part of the bloodstream. You can't avoid it. You don't have to go looking for it. It comes at you all the time. That's the kind of culture the people in Corinth live in. And what was happening is that people would go to these different temples and they would offer a sacrifice, some kind of food. A lot of times it was an animal. And there was too many people, and they were bringing the, the, the food, and the priests couldn't consume it all, and they wouldn't burn it all, so it would get turned back out and sold in the marketplace. So you bring your animal, and part of it's consumed by fire, part of it's eaten by the priest, but then there's a lot left over, and what do we have to do? So these temp- around these temples were mar- meat markets, basically, food markets. And this is the leftover food that's been sacrificed to an idol. And then attached to that are some cafes. So it's just part of the culture. You walk on and say, hey, here's the little meat market. And I'm going to get some meat or I'm going to have a, a hamburger right here. And it's going to be the Apollo hamburger or the Zeus hamburger or whatever it is. And that's just part of the culture. You're just walking around. That's how everybody normally operates. And this presented a couple of particular problems for the people at Corinth. First of all, when you went to the market, there wasn't a little sticker on the meat that said, Hey, you know, this got sacrificed to an idol. You just pretty much could assume it all got sacrificed to an idol at some point. And so they started asking themselves, Well, should we be buying this meat? Is that okay? If you became a Christian... Is it okay to go to the market and buy this meat and consume it? It's a question they're wrestling with. Coupled with that question is all the, all the parties that you went to, all the dinner parties, all the lunch meetings that you had, all, the, all the, the holiday seasons, any, any marriage celebration... All of these were wrapped around other idols and meat and food that had been sacrificed to an idol. So if you're going to a marriage ceremony and they're going to have food afterwards and the people who are getting married are not Christians, then they're bringing in food that had been sacrificed to an idol in a way to bless this marriage. And on the invitation, it would be, "You're coming to this wedding, and we're praying to this God that He blesses this marriage." And when you go there, you're going to be eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol. Is that okay? Now, now just think, what would you say? Is it okay if I go to the meat meat market and I know I'm buying meat that has been sacrificed to an idol? is it okay if I go to a dinner party or a wedding reception or meet somebody for lunch and I know pretty much I'm going to be eating food that had been sacrificed to an idol? Or am I supposed to say, yeah, I just don't do that anymore? All of my family members who are non-believers, I don't go to any of their dinner parties. I don't go to any of their wedding ceremonies. I don't have lunch with any of those people anymore because I don't think I can stay away from it. Do you see the tension? I want you to feel that tension. And probably in your mind you would say, "I, I think I lean more on this way or on that way. And that's what's happening inside the church at Corinth. There were some of the people who are saying, "Well, I think it's okay. I mean, an idol is nothing. So it didn't. It got sacrificed to nothing. There, there really isn't anything real about an idol. And then there were other people who, who maybe even came out of that culture, and like just being around it, somehow being attached to it, makes me start to scream inside, and I just, I just can't get back into that. And, and I. I don't think you should do it either. And these two groups began to become suspicious of each other, not over the gospel, but over these other issues that they're now having to, to, to try to figure out in the culture. And do you see that we have to do the same thing? It's not about meat sacrificed sacrifice to idol. It could be a hundred other things. What are you supposed to do with Alcohol. What are you supposed to do with movies, entertainment? What about how are you supposed to date? You know, there's, there's so many issues that we've got to say, well, there's some principles here, but, but it's not like the Ten Commandments. It's not like thou shalt not date, Right? You just you have to say, well, there's some areas here that are culturally bound, and we have some, and if you live in India, you have some different ones, and if you live in China, you have some different ones, and we've got to try to figure out how, how does a church that have a variety of people in it try to live and move together? That's, that's the background. That's the tension that Paul's trying to address, so... Let's get to our three points. First of all, there were people here that were knowledgeable. And I'm going to call them right because Paul ends up agreeing with them in terms of what they, their premise is. Verse 1, we know that. And then you notice probably in your Bible there's a quotation. All of us possess knowledge. Most scholars think he's lifting that out of the letter. So they had said, all of us possess knowledge. Now he's addressing this particular thing. And it's a little fuzzy because we don't have the rest of the information. So we're pulling it out of this letter. And I, I think what's happening here is there's a group of people who are saying, hey, everybody knows it's no big deal to eat meat sacrificed to an idol. That's what most people think he's trying to say here. Hey, everybody knows this. And it's a way of trying to get Paul to say, see, everybody knows, all the smart people know this. All the people who are mature, all the strong people, they all know this. Everybody should know this if you're a Christian. It's no big deal to eat meat sacrificed to an idol. And Paul's going to address their attitude in a minute. But I want you to see that I think he does actually affirm that. Verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of foods offered to idols, we know... Putting himself in that. We know that an idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, there's all kinds of gods around here in this this town. Indeed, there are many gods, many lords. Yet, here's what we know for sure, that there is one God. Everybody's agreeing on this. Every Christian's agreeing on this. And that God is the Father. Father. And, and, and we exist, all things exist through him, and there's one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. And everything exists because of their existence. So Paul is saying, hey, we all are agreeing in the church that there really is just one Lord and one God. So we're, we're, I'm saying, and idols are nothing. So they don't really exist. And then in verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off than we do. Do you see what Paul's saying? It's very similar to what you might remember Jesus saying. He says in Matthew 15, what goes into a man's mouth, remember that? That doesn't make him unclean. What makes him unclean? It's what comes out. And he's talking about what comes out of your heart, what comes out of your mind. That's what, I'm really concerned about your attitude. I'm not concerned about the food that you eat. And you remember in Acts, Peter, he had these diet, Jewish dietary restrictions. You remember this very interesting vision? And this sheet gets lowered down. It's got all kinds of shrimp and shellfish and, you know, ham I mean, got pork and all this kind of stuff on it. Maybe like funnel cakes and stuff. I don't know. But they're not used to eating this stuff and Peter's like, I, I couldn't eat any of that. And then he brings the sheep back down. I can't eat any of that. He kept bringing it down three times. What God calls clean, you don't call unclean. So he's, he's, he's making a transition to say, hey, what you consume, maybe minus like buttered popcorn at a theater or something, what you consume, it's okay. That's okay. I'm not worried about what's coming, going into your bodies. What I'm worried is what's coming out of your soul. That's my main concern. And Paul's agreeing with these people who are knowledgeable, calling these people who are right. They've got it right. It is okay to eat food sacrificed to an idol. That's Paul's conclusion. All right, so now these right people went the wrong way with their knowledge. And this is really what Paul's trying to address here. He's trying to say, verse 1, in your right knowledge you went the wrong way because you used your knowledge, look at that, to puff up rather than to build up. You took your right knowledge to make yourself look bigger. It's the, the, the billows puffing up. So you took this knowledge and you puffed yourself up. And you made yourself look bigger because you have all this knowledge. This is a very big danger if you go to a church that really is hammering the Bible week after week. Now what church would that be? Hmm, Christ Community Church. Because you could become very Knowledgeable. I know this. I hadn't seen this stuff before. I'm so glad I'm I'm digesting the Bible, and so am I. I'm so glad you are. But don't let it blow you up. Some Christ, one one writer said this: Some Christians grow, others swell. <laughs> the, these are Christians who are swelling. They're not growing. They're they're still their their knowledge knowledge is growing, but their their heart is shrinking. And the picture that came to my mind even just this morning was, you remember the Grinch who stole Christmas? What was his problem? His heart was two sizes too small, right? And they had to kind of put that little box in front of it and had this tiny little heart. A few of you, you, know, you don't remember this. But yes, it's such a cool little moment. Of course, at the end, his heart grows three times as big. And it busts a little, okay. But... That's what's happening Their Head was getting big, but their heart was shrinking. and they were using their knowledge in a way that, that wasn't loving. Now I want to I just take you to a couple of places in Corinthians to show that Paul makes a connection in a couple of other ways here that are helpful. Let's turn back to chapter two, verse one. Paul is saying, he's remembering, he's doing a little autobiography. Hey, do you guys remember when I came to you to preach? I came to you. Now, I came into this culture who loves entertainment. I came into this culture who loves to be puffed up. I came into this culture who who thrives on name recognition and great speakers. So when I came to you, what does it say? I did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling. and my speech and message, they weren't with some sort of plausible words of wisdom. But it was a demonstration of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of Paul, but in the power of God. Such a powerful verse here. When Paul comes to Corinth, he purposely he purposefully reduces himself. So that people could see Jesus. See Paul's done the very opposite to them. He could have come in and said look I know more than everybody. Yes you do. You've seen the resurrected Savior. But he comes down and he says I'm trying to reduce myself down. So that what you're impressed with is God. I don't want you to be impressed with me. But see that's exactly the opposite of what these people are doing. They're taking their knowledge puffing themselves up and saying look how great I am. Everybody should follow after what I think. And then of course in 1 Corinthians 13, you remember, if you have prophetic powers, if indeed you understand all mysteries and knowledge, but you have not love, what does he say? Well, that's three out of four. That's pretty good. No. That's not what he said. In case you're not a Bible scholar, that isn't what he says. You can have all the knowledge in the world. And if you don't have love, what does he say? You are zero. You are nothing. So these people are puffing themselves up, thinking they're something. And Paul's saying, but you're nothing. You don't have love for for your people. You don't have love for your brothers and sisters, which we'll get to here in just a moment. And So Paul's really hard on these people, and the reason he's hard on these people is because they turn out to be a hazard to the church and not a help. And to me, that's so discouraging. You have the smartest people in the church who are the biggest hazard, and they could be the biggest help. But because of their puffed-upness, because of their attitude, they're actually a hazard to the team. And Paul's so discouraged about this. He says, you you don't even see, notice verse 7, however, not everyone actually possesses this knowledge. You see what he's saying? You've gotten so big, it's blocked out your vision that there are other people that are coming into the church that don't have your knowledge. And you're so excited about you, you can't see very... Infant Christians crawling into your congregation who you should bend down and try to help instead of bear down on with your knowledge. Verse 11. Very striking. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The weakest person is walking in and they're getting craned. By the most knowledgeable people as soon as they walk in. And Paul just can't stand this. But they can't see it because they think they're knowledgeable. Well, I'm right. And Paul's saying, you are right. But you're killing the team. But just Let's try to imagine you're on a basketball team. And you come in at halftime, and somebody's perfect, seven for seven from three-point uh, range, no turnovers. And they're trying to high-five everybody. I'm perfect. I See that form? Awesome. Didn't miss one. No rim, just all net. And they say, yeah, but you shot at the wrong goal. <laughs> yeah, but it was perfect, wasn't it? Perfect form. yeah. But you're killing the team. You are killing the team. And that's what Paul's trying to say. You're shooting at the wrong goal. You think you got it right, but you're shooting in the wrong direction. You're hurting us. You're hurting the team. You're a hazard. You're not a help with all of your knowledge. So how can these two groups get together? You've got these weak people whose consciences are, are, are Adam. We'll talk about that in just a second. And you've these knowledgeable people. And Paul's trying to say, I want you guys to stay in the same church. But you've got to make some movement in some way so you don't just throw each other out. How is that going to help? How is that going to happen? And I want to just suggest a couple of answers for the weak people and the strong people. You, see, you just see again... These weak people—they don't possess much knowledge. In all likelihood, they just come out of the Corinthian culture. They've come into the church, and, and they see people—they see people to, uh, buying meat or going to these ceremonies—and it's, and, and it's a stumbling block to them. Their conscious is weak. They just—they can't fit that inside of their head, so it causes them to stumble, and maybe that causes them to to go back into a lifestyle that they are trying to get out of. Who knows what it is? But it, but it's a problem here. And I would say for the weak people, a couple of things. One, you're weak. It is okay for somebody to eat meat, food, sacrificed to an idol. So just learn. I'm not saying you should go against your conscience. Because if you don't ever eat meat, that's fine. We're not saying you should. We're just saying just learn. Just put that in your little theological closet... It's okay. It may not be okay for me, but we're not going to stretch that over for everybody. It's okay. Just learn that. Just, just learn some charity as you mature. All right, so that's what one thing we're going to say is that it's okay. It's okay to eat this meat. So what we need to learn is that there are going to be lots of questions for Christians and churches around the world to address how you're supposed to interact with the culture. So th- this isn't anything new. Come in here. I've come out of a culture. How am I supposed to react to this culture? How am I supposed to interact with the culture? And, and it may be you say, I'm removing myself. That's okay because that's your conscience. And you should feel good about that. You shouldn't feel like somebody's dragging into you. But you, we have to be... This is where the weak person has to be careful. And they don't take their their conscious stricken mindset and stretch it over everyone else. This is what happens. I don't think it's right and that's fine. But then they take that and say, and it shouldn't be right for you either. Do you see what they're doing? They're taking this thing that is okay for them, but they want to open up their coat and say, everyone in the church should think this way. And Paul's saying, well, about the, the divinity of Jesus, yes, everyone should think this way. How about food sacrificed to idol? It's okay if you don't want to have it, and it's okay if you want to have it. But don't take your coat and make everybody fit in. Does that make sense? This is a very critical learning that the church has to know because everybody's going to have some different opinions on things in the culture that aren't essential, and you can't take your thing and make it stretch over everybody. And this, I can promise you, happens all the time. You probably have some of these things. I probably have some of these things. And maybe you wouldn't voice them, but you kind of look down on the people. I mean, if they were real spiritual, they wouldn't be doing that. I had a seminary professor who, um, I don't know what his thing was with drinking, but he didn't like it. Which is fine. I didn't have a problem with that. And he said his practice was he didn't mind doing weddings. But if, if the reception had alcohol, he would not go to the reception. Is that okay? A lot of, uh, I don't know. <laughs> he has a conviction about it. So he can't go. Is that okay? Yes, that's okay. Do I have to buy into his conviction? No, I don't. Now, he wasn't making me, but you see, that could happen. You could be, hey, that's not uh, alcohols there. Mm. If you were really spiritual, uh, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't see that movie. You wouldn't school your kids this way. You wouldn't allow them to wear this. You wouldn't allow them to date. You, wouldn't, you see, we could list a 100, could we not? And there are some of these things that you are hot on, and it's good for you. Just don't stretch it over everybody else. If it's not an essential thing. So if you're a weak person. Learn Paul is trying to say. Hey there's going to have to be some charity. In the culture. So so try to mature and understand. Hey that might not be good for you. but, But it might be okay for somebody else. And we're not trying to drag you in. But please don't try to drag us in. Very very important thing. So if you're. The right person in the group, the knowledgeable person, what do you have to learn? You have to learn love. That has to be your motive. Not not knowledge, but love. Not, not your head, but your heart. And notice in verse 11, 12, 13, Paul's been talking about the weak person, but then he shifts to, look, the word brother. And, and he uses the word brother four times in the last two verses. See, see when you come in... And you see that person who's got that weak conscience, they're somebody Jesus died for. They're not just a weak person. They're your brother. And for your brother, you would do things that you wouldn't do for somebody else. And this is a person Jesus died for, so I'm going to learn how to love. I'm going to learn how to to help and nurture this person and grow this person and not look down on this person. And this is particularly important in a church like Corinth that has various cultures inside the same church. Because most Bible scholars think the strong people, the knowledgeable people, were the Jewish people inside the church. They knew idols were nothing. And the weak people were the people from Corinth, the Greeks, that were coming in out of the culture. You can understand how that works. And these people were looking down. These non-Greek people are looking down on the Greek people. And saying something like this, if you just become a little more cultured, you wouldn't do that. Do you see how that easy that could be for any? Two cultures inside of a church. It's okay if you came from that culture, but come on over here. Because we got the right culture. See, that that tension, that tension is felt in every church that has more than one culture. Here in Corinth, there might be two or three different cultures. So we've got to be very careful about that, not to look down on somebody just because that's the culture that they came out of. We never want to look down. Why? Why don't we ever want to look down? Want to bend down why because Jesus bit down for us, think about how much his, his how much freedom he limited himself to to bend down to love you. He did not equality consider equality with God something to be. But he made himself, I I formed myself in this low figure, a servant, so I could get up underneath you and try to love you out of it and not drive you out of it. And that's the attitude that we should have. Paul says this very interesting little phrase, and I'll close here. Verse 3. If anyone loves God... Now, if you read through this, you might think he knows God. If anyone loves God, he knows God. But that's not what Paul says. If anyone loves God, God, he's known by God. If, anyone lo- if I love God, I know God, who's the center of those statements? Me. I love God, I know God. I must have knowledge, so you should come to me and know what? No, No, that's not good. If anyone knows God, he is actually known by God. I don't love God because I want to love God. I love God because he loves me. And because he loves me and I see that love demonstrated bending down, then the weakest little person who comes in, if it would be helpful for their faith for me to not eat meat, that's no big deal. Now, when they mature, they might learn something. But for a while, I'm going to, try to, I'm going to try to accommodate and say, hey, I get it. My love can limit my freedom because my love is more important than my rights. And we see that on the cross. So this is a, this is a great tension in all churches. Just the topics are different. And you have to charitably try to wrestle with each other on it. And not try to win or pin somebody. Once I have somebody coming towards me and they want to pin me down, that just doesn't get the best emotional reaction from Pastor Paul. But if I say, hey, Kate, we wrestle about this. This isn't one of those John three sixteen verses. This is a, a different kind of thing. We're going to have to try to figure out what are we supposed to do in this area. And I want to work towards having charity. And I want to come at it with a loving heart. Not a condemning heart. Not a I know it all kind of heart. Let's pray. Lord, um, this is a topic that churns up a lot of questions. And my hope is that these questions get stated over lunch today. And in different conversations. Well, what about this thing in, in our culture in Wilmington, North Carolina? How would we think about this? How could we say... That's a place that we could exercise charity. But for us to do it, we're going to really have to be people who are locked down on the gospel. And that is your incredible, infinite love for us to bend down and to serve in order to bring us into the kingdom. So we we kindly let go of our rights in order to love one another. Would you help this group, this congregation do that well. So that when we go out into the world or the visitors come to us. They, they feel that song that we sing. There is now no condemnation. It's not coming from Jesus. It's not coming from us. What's coming from us is love. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.